0: Six goals, God knows how many clean sheets under Gary Megson. A return to the Hawthorns as manager. That goal against Crystal Palace and cult hero West Brom status. Darren Moore, welcome to the Baggies broadcast. Thanks for coming along. Nah, cheers for having me on, lads. Appreciate it. Appreciate. It. Well, what we're going to, um, what we're going to do, Darren? We're going to split it up as we always do on these podcasts. We've had a few guests on for this series. I'll cover the first half and talk about your playing days. Lewis is going to talk about your managerial career and. Coming back to Albion, um, so I'm going to kick it all off with with your with your um, your sort of introduction to football. Right, right back to the very start. Born in the West Midlands, Darren. How did you how did your footballing journey begin? Obviously, professionally, I think you were a, a YTS or a youth at, at Torquay. But yeah. how did your how, how did it all begin?
1: Yeah, for for me, um, obviously, you know, obviously it, it, born in, in the Midlands in in uh, Birmingham, Hensworth. So being a stone's throw away from from the Albion, but my career started at Torquay United, which was back then in the fourth division. Now we had a scout um, uh, by the name of John James, who's is is from Blackheath, <laughs> and he was living in um, he lives down in um, in Devon. So what John did was John, even though he was a scout for recruit for Torquay United, he was the one that spotted Lee Sharp and. Um, and obviously Lee was from up here in Hales Owen so he did the same so every time he'd come up and the clubs that let like Blues, Albion Villa, Warsaw, Coventry um, what let players go John would probably feel if they're not good enough for those clubs then certainly for Torquay United they'll be good enough so that's how we got recruited so he saw me and invited me down for a trial and I went down there did, did well and and the rest of the is history so in terms of that that's how i got recruited up here from the midlands because i was a schoolboy at warsaw and then uh i didn't get taken on as apprentice and uh, just as warsaw were moving into the new bescott stadium so i ended up going down to torquay and um, and signed for torquay and funny enough from warsaw and I, I was just, i was i was hours away from signing for paget rangers <laughs> believe it or not <laughs> before i went to torquay because i was going to sign for paget and uh and i got the so i was going to sign for Paget on the monday morning and i got a phone call from torquay united on the sunday and ended up going down to torquay so um so it was a quite an incredible story and then I, I started my apprentice down there done a couple of years as a pro down there and and off i was was into the world of professional football so that's how it went really so jj as we know him john james jj i still speak to him to this day in fact lads i spoke to him last week
0: yeah, it's funny. It's funny how things work. You mentioned the YTS stuff there, Darren. What was it? This fascinates me. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I listen to one called Under the Cosh with John Parkin and, and um, Chris Brown, and they talk about this a lot. Players, you know, the YTS was different then. What was it like for you? Because, you know, you hear stories of sweeping stands and cleaning boots and, you know, having dubbing, you know, chucked at you and all this, this sort of hard upbringing. Obviously, that's gone now. You know, what was it like for you? And, and do you feel that there's an element of obviously not the the brutal stuff, but is there an element of that that's maybe missing with young players coming through these days?
1: Yeah, without without a doubt, without without a doubt, I've got no, I'm not swayed. I, I think for the apprentices now, they've missed out on so much, and a lot of people think it sounds brutal, but they've missed out on so much. What they miss out on is that dedication, that discipline, that real um, earning the right. Uh, to to step into that uh, professional world and what it means and and get that understanding because you know to, to sweep the stadiums before you can train i think that was that was part of your discipline and it was it was it was a, a cultural thing that we'd play our games on a saturday we'd play our games and then we'd have the sunday off come in monday morning and the stands need sweeping so we'd get be out with our broomsticks and our and our shovels and the black sacks and and clearing the whole stadium, ready for the next game and, and sweeping so you've got probably 18, 19 20 scholars in different parts of the stand really sweeping it young fit um, boys really tr- um, knowing this is what it takes to really becoming a professional footballer. So it's just that discipline and that work ethic. Then cleaning the the, 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 the pro's boots on a day to day basis. D- don't forget, you're looking up to these pros and you're aspiring to be like these pros. So to clean their boots and make sure they're spot on, it's the, it's it's the, the tools of their trade, and you're making sure they're in absolute spick span condition every single day for them to train and play games. So that was another thing, uh, and also the 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 sheer reverence of 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 of, of challenging yourself at one day being as good as them. So all them elements as a, as a YTS and then you're training every single day and um, getting to a real fit level and, and, and you're training day and uh, morning and afternoon to try and aspire to get there. So all those elements from a mental, from a mental and a, and a psychological and a physical point of view, all adds to becoming a, uh, a professional footballer and, You looking at it and taking it really, really serious that nothing's a given. And I think today where the kids are today, and I know it's the football and education, but um, we had education on the top of that. So really on a Wednesday, we had all day or Tuesday and Thursdays all day at college. So we had it all then. And it, and I thought it served a wonderful, wonderful purpose, really, in terms of where it's at today. And I just really feel the kids today have missed out on that. And they know they're no, no different, really. where um, I just think today, they think it's a given that you can just step in and play football and, and that's it when it do not quite work like that, really.
0: Yeah, so then for your career, they're obviously talky. What I, I've just taken, I wrote down this script a while ago. But what I've just taken out is you really like going from one end of the country to the other, down because you went from Torquay <laughs> yeah. up to Doncaster and Bradford, then down yeah. to, to Portsmouth. Uh, yeah. What was the highlight of that? You, I think it was a, was it a promotion to the Premier League at Bradford? Under
1: yeah, yeah, it, yeah. And I mean, for me, I've lived in the north and south, so um, so yeah, right the way up the country. So for me, from Torquay to Doncaster, then 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 obviously onto Bradford. From when we played at Doncaster, I got spotted by. Um, Chris Kamara at the time what took me from. Uh, I was going to go and sign for uh, Mickey Adams at Fulham, and then um, obviously Fulham would just got promotion out of uh, League League um, League Two into League One, and then obviously Bradford were in the Championship. So Chris Kamara came in for me, and I took that. I decided to stay in the North and take the step up to the Championship, and of course that year at Bradford it proved to be the right decision because we got promotion to the Premier League, which was a fantastic achievement at the time. Real, we had a wonderful group of players um, and that was a real special moment really to get promotion to the Premier League uh, with Bradford City against all the odds. Uh, And when I look at all my teams that I played for and got promotion with, they've always been at the time against the odds really in that season, but I've been pleased to be part of groups and teams that have shown that level of consistency um, to get it done over the course of a full season. So, and that was the first one uh, of many to come and um, getting promotion with Bradford uh, in that season. I think it was in nineteen ninety nine two thousand season to get promotion. Really. So, and that that was great, really. So, um, so that was it. And, I, and there I was to try and fulfill a dream of playing the Premier League.
0: Yeah. And then from uh, Bradford to Portsmouth, and then and then it was was Albion two thousand and one. Yeah. Um, just talk us through how that. That came around. I think the season had already started by the time you sort of arrived and pitched up at the Hawthorns. How did How did Gary Megson sort of coach you to
1: to the Albion? Yeah, no, it was it was it was a time because um, when I was playing at Portsmouth, there was a lot of talk then about me come, coming to the Albion, and then I suffered a, a, an ankle injury. Um, funny enough, playing up at Sheffield Wednesday, so that kind of delayed it towards coming at the end of the season, but also at the start of the season campaign. I'm Obviously, Albion still kept that interest in me. So once I'd recovered from my ankle injury and was back playing, the interest was still there, which was grateful. And then, of course, um, Gary um, showed an interest really in bringing me up there because obviously the season before they had uh, uh, butts there, Tony Butler, and, and he was saying that he wanted you know, to bring me in as, a, as an understudy, but to, to eventually replace and, and go forward with the club. So at that time me and Andy Johnson had signed at the time and uh what a great feeling for me obviously leaving Portsmouth and then coming to come and join for a club like the Albion because I always thought you know where I was in Hansworth Albion was always a club where it was a stone's throw out and I always said um to family friends and and that that I'd love to go and play for a club like this so when I used to come back at the Albion I came back with Portsmouth I came back with um with um, so i come back with Bradford, so I'd always played at the Albion and I'd always walk off the pitch and think, yeah, I'd want to come back there. So to have the opportunity to come and play there was great. And I always remember me signing on the Thursday, coming up on the Thursday, signed on the Friday, getting on the team bus, being in the in in the hotel with uh, probably Russell Holt at the time and being on the subs bench, playing against Watford, but butts get sent off. And me coming on and, and sort of coming on and, and, and sort of kind of showing up the defence. I think we won the game 2-1 in the end. And I just remember Gary Mixon saying, go on and and, and go and see the game out. So he's down to 10 men. And then the following week after that, I missed the game because that, when you got suspended, you always missed the You always played the next game and then missed the next one afterwards. So I met Medebi at home against um, Burnley. And uh, and obviously we win the game 1-0. And Scott Dolby scored the goal. But because we went up with a melee of players, Everybody at the Albion at the Birmingham Road, had thought that I'd scored the goal, but but I, the ball sort of went over my head and Scott Dolby headed it in. And I ran back and all the Albion fans were saying, there's only one Big Dave. So then all the lads were saying to me, what's that? And I said, I think they, they think it's my goal, so, so I'll take it. And Dolby, <laughs> Scott Dolby was saying, no, no, it's my goal. And obviously it revealed it was his goal, but that's where the, the, the name, um, obviously Big Dave uh, stayed with me and, and obviously I built a real connection with the Albion fans and, and that was it really, off and running at the Albion.
0: Yeah, that that's just funny because that literally is my next question. I, you know, that season is when I can really remember Albion as an Albion fan. But and obviously you are a lot of me and my brother. It was one of our favourite players and the name Big Dave. Where, where, did, where was it actually coined from, Darren? Where, so that, where did it come from?
1: Yeah, no, just honestly, it was like, I remember because we played the game at Portsmouth in the midweek and out, we played down at Portsmouth and um, I went for a warm-up and obviously, but then you, you go to the right, down towards the away end. So, we was down at the away end and me and Brian Jensen and at the time, Brian Jensen, the goalkeepers, had these big, like, all-in-one suits and it was all green. So, you know, Beast, Brian Jensen's a big guy and then we was warming up down there, was watching the game and um, and of course, I had a lot more hair than uh, you see me up now and then, um, Brian yes, these fans said, uh, "Bees, you look like the jolly green giant in that su- in that suit," and I laughed at him and I looked at him, laughed. I mean, we were just having a bit of crack with the fans. It was warming up in the corner, and then then the one about these gent said, and he said, "You know, you look like." Darren, the lad, uh, Big Dave after the Pat Noodle advert. And I looked at him and <laughs> I laughed at Brian, but I didn't, I thought, what, man, about Big Dave? I thought, I've not heard this advert. And they said, have you not seen it? Pot Noodle. And I went, no, I haven't actually. Of course, I do all my hair. And he said, yeah, yeah, you look like him. So I thought, okay, so that stuck in my head. And then I sort of went and sort of, I thought, later in the day, I did look it up and see what it was. And I thought, all oh, right, I get it now. But then, and the next game, I made my debut. And of course, then they thought I'd scored the goal, and that's when it stopped from there, really. So it all sort of materialized from there, and 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 that was my my name, really, um, my dear to the Albion faithful, really. So that's why it just um, stayed, really, and it, and it all materialized from that, really. But I'm so pleased because when I speak to the Albion fans and I go back to a lot of the events, a lot of the Albion fans, certainly the older generation. Uh, uh, sort of look at that time as the start of Albion's change in fortune over the time. It was that yeah. that team that started gearing it and moving the club to where it was at the time. So to be a part of that and the start of that was really, really proud really. <clears throat> and as I said, I've I've always enjoyed my time there as a player and obviously as a as a manager, the time that I had there was 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 incredible really.
0: Yeah. So you come in there, um you you strike me down as quite a it's quite a placid character at times how did you get on with gary megson who was probably completely the opposite when he was in full flow in that dressing room
1: yeah just drove <laughs> just, yeah he was really really um really demanding of the team and real focused on it really and um and i learned so much of him the the the, the winning men, uh, attitude the, the 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 mentality the driven um, approach really, really was and 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 Gary and and blessing Frank Burrows was excellent at the time, and I quickly learned and established what what um, Gary wanted, and it was and it was that and being part of that defensive structure, that real discipline, and you know improved me as a as a player and um, the leadership qualities. You know I'm a manager today, and I like to think that some of the, the managerial skill sets I've got today's from those times as a player so for me it was really really good but I but I knew what what Gary wanted in terms of the team I knew the no nonsense the winning attitude the mental approach approaching each and every single game was that to be spot on and and uh, when I look back at that season and some of the characteristics we had that season I'm almost sure that I'm using some of those characteristics to to who I am today.
0: Yeah in terms of you know it must have been great as a defender in, in a Megson team but it was yourself I think it's Phil Gilchrist and Laris Sigerson were an absolute wall you know if Albion scored they, no one else was going to score it was always it was the one nil to the Albion phrase that year wasn't it what was it like playing alongside them two just I imagine three people who just absolutely loved defending and and loved clean sheets because you got plenty of them
1: yeah no that, that year me Laris and Gilly was, um, was solid and we knew each other's game inside out really and um the, men, the, the mentality but not just what the fans will see is that was for the games but we were like it in training as well so there's a real um discipline approach to us each and every single week um, in training and in the games really and it was that because even when we got the the, the, the goal against when I scored the goal against palace you could feel at the in the, in the, in the Albion ground there was just relief around the whole place. It was almost like it was almost like a semi-party had almost started because they just felt that with our 1-0 wins, I think that season we, we might have got nearly, I think, 14 1-0 wins yeah. or 12 or 14. Yeah. I mean, ridiculous amount of 1-0 wins in terms of, really getting a goal and and making sure that we're seeing out the the, the, the game. And I mean, it's it's incredible. So when we scored against Palace that game, I could feel it around the stadium that there was a real relaxed approach. And of course, when when Bob Taylor scores the second one, then it did really take off. But that season was an excellent season uh, in terms of where the club had finished the season before and then just coming in and then really um, kicking on and really um, catching um, Wolves really, really be, be of all really and, and pipping them to it really in terms of this season because we had a great successful time in the FA Cup as well. Yeah. So that was another thing that we had to contend with uh, as well as falling behind with a couple of games and, and catching that up and staying consistent. So all around it was a great season.
0: Yeah. What was it like for you going into that that dressing room, Darren? Because, you know, there's some some big characters in there. You just said you signed same day as Andy Johnson We actually had Andy on A couple of weeks ago And we know him quite well From commentating at Alvin He's a, a live wire To say the least yeah. um, And there's some big Some big characters who were, the, who were the sort of Standout voices In that in that dressing room When you walked in
1: Yeah obviously I Me and John had signed So John's You know the character John O is now He was then as, as a player But obviously You are get in the dressing room You've got Rule Fox in there you know, you got you got uh, Desi Desi Littles in there. These are all um, characters, Bob Taylors in there. Really, like you know, so some real, real big, big, big characters. We had Danny Dicky over there coming at the time. Deech had come in at the time. Derek McInnes was in in the in the building at the time. You know, so you got real. Um real real strong, strong top uh characters. And then you know, you got the young uh, Neil Clements is in there as well, you know. So just um some real mixture of of, of characters, the two um James and Adam Chambers in there's two twins and that, you know. So we got some wonderful characters um in, 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 in the dressing room. You know, you had young players in there, we we, we forget like Lloyd Dyer. I mean, Lloyd Dyer scored an unbelievable goal and 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 came in a pivotal time at Albion where his his youthfulness and his energy was absolutely and his fearless approach what took us forward. So I look at lots of different characters at the time in that in that uh, dressing room and you know Igor Balis and we know Igor Balis is is so quiet but such a, a wonderful temperament really in him. Uh, in terms of, and obviously Russell Holt was in there as, as a goalkeeper in, in terms of what he used to bring to us. So there was many, many different, um, can't forget Jason Roberts. Robbo was 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 brilliant again in terms of it. So when you look at us, we had we had all the ingredients in there, but a real strong arm mentality from our manager that gave us that winning uh, attitude. You know, you think of Derek McKinney's came from Rangers and you know, at Glasgow Rangers, they're all about winning, you know, so... It, we had that real blend in, in, in there of experience and youth in there and uh, that carried us forward. So we, we had a great dressing room, uh, home and away. We had some real strong characters in there um, and, and everybody played their part.
0: Yeah. Just in terms of that season, um, you know, I can't remember how I was feeling at the start of that season as a sort of seven year old Albion fan or whatever I was. But when did you, as players, start to believe? Because I don't think many Albion fans went into that season thinking, you know what, we can go to the Premier League this year.
1: Um, yeah, no, no. When, I think, when, I think, when did yeah. it all
0: sort of start snowballing and start to
1: become real? Uh, I, I remember us, um, I think I think remember us going to, to Burnley. I can't remember the time. and I think that might have been live on TV and I think we won 2-0 maybe at Burnley. And um, I think it was just the this, this solid um, approach. I think it might have been Burnley. I might get the game wrong, but I think it was away at Burnley. And I, and I thought we got back on the bus and got back and, I think it was just, I remember um, Raw Fox, obviously at the time with his experience, I think Foxy was saying, honestly, lads, we could do something this season because in terms of where we're at as a group, because we're solid, we don't give much away, we carry a goal threat. Um, we are we're a threat from set plays, in open play, not a lot of teams get a lot against us. We're fitter than most uh, teams and... And, we, and, and we've got goal scorers at the top end of the pitch in, in Dickey O, uh, Robbo, uh, Scott Dolby, Bob Taylor at the time, you know, uh, we had the consistency on both flags in Igor Ballis and Neil Clement, uh, the solidity of the three central defenders and, and the solidity of the three in midfield in, in McInnes, Johnson and I think a large part of it that was uh, probably Jay Chambers or Adam Chambers in midfield playing. And, and doing really well so we had a real settled squad but a real dangerous squad really um and and we feared feared none of the opponents so we bit but one, one game after game we just kept turning the page getting results getting results getting results and we had a real level of consistency really and and um and you get that as you work through the months i think the turn of the year i think everybody had that in them that you know the albion really could do something um that season and uh, and we did it
0: yeah, and it all culminated, obviously, Bradford and then and then Palace. Um, that goal, that goal's actually got a funny story in my family, Darren. You scored that goal. My mum rarely came to the Hawthorns, but she came that day. And she always remembers you because when you scored that goal, she got knocked on the top of the head by another West Brom fan. <laughs> so your name's always etched in it, even though she hasn't got a, a care in the world about football. Um, so that's my funny story on it. But what what was that goal? What did it mean to you? Obviously, you know, it was like a striker's finish when you put it away. Yeah, like the right no. time and slide it home.
1: Yeah, no, it's a real, real, real important goal, and then to get it really on that day was um, was it was a real and it lived long in memory, really, and and it was just like you said, you know, um, the bit was I knocked it back in back into the danger area, so I didn't expect it to come back to me, because I thought to myself just get it back because it was going out the far post, and I was thinking if I can get it back into the danger area, we'll score from it, so that's why really I, I, I kind of. Managed to get it back into that danger area, and then obviously it come back to me. And then when it comes back to me, I just thought, just get the, just get the, get the contact on it. Went through the keep goalkeeper's legs, and obviously joy and jubilation for us all, really, in terms of that. And like I said to at the time, I just felt it just settled everything down at the club really after those first sort of twenty minutes and that, and we we're able to play the game. And I think on, on the day, the only chance really that I can recollect that Palace had was a. And Danny Granville strike that really clicked the top of my head and Russell he kind of deflected and nearly went in and Russell was ever super sharp and tipped it over and that was it really. Kept the game tight uh, all game and then of course then I just think Bub score, scoring his Neil's free kick and Bub scoring and we knew then really that you know it was um, mission completed but when we got to that Bradford game and we got our nose in front with that penalty in the last minute. I'll tell you now gents that we had that training that week training leading up to it we came back on the team boss and that lead week leading up to it it was never in doubt that the club was going to get promotion it was never in doubt uh, just the, the when I look back at the week's training and how every everything just went to clockwork even the level of training I mean level of training was always good anyway but the level of training it was absolutely it was not a foot put wrong it was like the whole group the whole team was absolutely focused on, on gaining And when I look back now, it was never in doubt, never in doubt, the, the, the promotion. It really wasn't. And, um, and yeah, we did it.
0: Yeah. And when you get that game, you know, the final whistle goes. I think it was blow, they blew up early as the fans were on the pitch. And and was it a sense, what was your feeling? Was it a sense of, I can't believe what's just happened? Or what, just sum up how you were, you know, I know it was, what was it 21 years ago now, but, you know, can you remember how you were feeling in the aftermath of that? That yeah, joy, joy moment. for
1: everybody, for the fans, everybody. Um, real joy for everybody, it really was, and 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 obviously personal fulfilment to as a as a as a as a kid, your you, you, your dream is to play in the top flight. Which when I first started would have been Division One, but then obviously it materialised into the Premier League. So having the opportunity to play in the Premier League was was. Um joy for everybody, fans, everybody connected to the football club, the younger generation to seeing the team playing the Premier League and also also from a personal point of view, having the opportunity to pick your wits against and uh, the elite and being the best, probably what you deem probably the best league in the world as it stands now, and being having the opportunity to play in it. So and obviously being a local as well, you know. I, I always remember, you know, playing for the Albion as a local, it, you know what it means really, you know. Um so even mum and dad used to come home and you know they used to say oh you know all the fans are, are saying oh is your son ready like it's a big game tomorrow and things like that really so I used to get that from the from the parents or from my brothers and sisters with local fans in the area knowing that I played for the for the club so you, you have that extra bit of onus really on you really so it meant so much more especially when we being local there to get promotion and. And it's lived long in memory and, you know, back in the Midlands now, you know, I still come back home there now and, you know, people still talk to me now about it and, and still recognise me for that time at the Albion.
0: Yeah. And just from there, Albion went up. I think everyone can agree Albion probably weren't ready to, to go up as a football club. What That following season, it was always a struggle. Was it more of a learning curve for for players like yourself, Darren, and, yeah and that, that campaign?
1: Yeah, because obviously you know from a learning curve we played three at the back and three in midfield and from the from the quality that the premier league had they'd attack you attack you from at wide positions and sort of pull you all over the place and then attack you central so what they do is disrupt your shape centrally to get you out wide limit the bodies in the middle of the pitch where we was always strong and then they'd be scoring with cutbacks and that so it was a massive learning curve for us at that time and of course for me after 30 games I sustained a knee injury so I missed the last like eight games of the season um, I sustained a knee injury against Chelsea and um, when I ended up doing my, 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 my cruciate in the game missing the whole of that really season and and half of the following season uh, for that really so for me it was a it was a massive learning uh, curve and for the team at the time and of course the following season after that you know me coming back in halfway through the season and then us getting promotion straight back to the uh, Premier League so it showed that we'd learned a lot because by that time obviously um, Gary had moved on, Brian had come in and then that was the great escape as well really so it just goes to show that the learning process from that season and getting promotion straight away and then doing the great escape how much had been learned from it.
0: Yeah so you know obviously come down following season one of the favourites to go up, go back up. Um, for you was it Was it almost a chase uh, and I suppose people like you and Andy Johnson, who was there at the time, um, other players who were in and around it the first time, was it a chance to have another crack at the Premier League, I suppose, uh, and have another go at it?
1: Yeah, I I suppose when I look back at the the time there, it's always been a, a time of success. We come there, we get promotion, obviously the following season we're expected to get, go up. I remember like i me coming back just before like sort of back in the November, December from the knee injury. And me playing sort of probably 26, 28 games consecutive, and then we get promotion. So of course that there's there's that um there's that joy as well with the Albion fans. You're playing because again it's another successful cause we've gone back straight back into the the Premier League. And then that season then really, it's in that Premier League, it's learning and you know, it starts off and then you know we in and around it, you know, and, and I just remember like um, sort of Brian coming in and, and just saying that, you know, you do a lot of work with the ball, but you got to use the ball better. I remember bringing in Kevin Campbell with his experience and a young Kieran, Kieran uh, uh, Richardson from Man United, just this young, energetic, full of life, just got an unbelievable desire to just want to succeed and do well. And it just worked. It just clicked, you know, it just clicked and and um, we went away to uh, Florida as a team. We had a real good team bonding in Florida, train, warm weather training and we come back. And if you look at the results when we come back from Florida, we just we just hit a, a, a wave and we just went through the gears and we got the results that we needed. And and it was a great escape. And it was we was the first team to be down at bottom at Christmas. Um, to stay in the Premier League and, and sort of break that that mindset of, you know, teams at Christmas can survive in the Premier League and we was the first to do it. So, so it was a wonderful time of learning, experience from it and a, and a great successful time, certainly for me as an individual and those sort of five years when I was a player at the Albion. Yeah,
0: what was it like, you know, within the space of a few years, a club is, you know, obviously a local club, you've been involved in arguably two of the biggest biggest days in the club's history obviously yeah. in the squad on on the day of the great escape yeah you know that must they must sort of um be pr- sort of pride moments that you were in such a short space of time involved in two sort of historic events to do with West Brom
1: yeah and that's and that's I think where you know where the the, the connection comes with myself and the, and the supporters because it's recognizing over them five years what happened in those five years why there's that connection that bond uh, because it's a it's a it's associated with a time of success. And like I said, it's associated with everything, the Turner and the football club uh, establishing themselves in the Premier League um, and 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 the, the, the foundations, what I was set there. So I've always had that connection with them. But when I look back on it, I can see why, but I had such a great time. I really had such a great time to being a local uh, player there, playing for the football club and bringing that success to them there. I had a great time at the football club. So as a player, so it was fan- it was fantastic times all around. And when I look back at it now, um, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change anything really for it really. And I'm grateful for the opportunity that Gary gave me to come and play for the football club. But once I'd landed there, it was all about me and going about my business in terms of doing the best I could for the football club and for my career going forward.
0: Yeah, and and how the it was the following season. I think you left in the January of the following season. How'd, how did did it come around? I think you played nine times in that first half of the season, Darren. How, how did it all come around? And was it was it like was it an amicable ending? You know, I hope it yes, was because yeah, you, yeah you it, was. It, it
1: was. Up. It was quite a surprise actually, Darren, because when Brian obviously I was going to go to Derby County on loan. It was only a loan agreement, so I said to him, I thought right, I tell, I'm going to go to Derby. I'm going to go and play at Derby for a loan six games. And I'll end up sort of coming back to the Albion and then that 20 or 30 percent I need to start games and being there, I'll get it from Derby and play some games. But actually what happened was Phil Brown, the Derby manager, had asked the club and Brian to say that they want to make it permanent. So I was quite surprised because when Brian said they want you to go as permanent, I sort of looked at it and thought, oh, right. okay. so he ended up me going there permanently and signing for Derby County that season, they were in the relegation, and I, rem- I just remember them having probably 15 games remaining. And we thinking we need to win half of them to stay up, and we did that at Derby. So I ended up going to Derby. What should have been a loan ended up being a permanent deal. So and then that's why I said the following season I'd have never thought I'd have been playing against the Albion in in a playoff final game because it was it was the most weirdest. A year later, you're
0: breaking Albion hearts. must have
1: been hard for you. I couldn't believe it. Honestly, it was the most weird and surreal experience at Wembley I can never. The way I felt at Wembley, I would never have thought I would have been been able to put the performance in what I did, how I felt before the game, because I felt so heavy. Heavy in mind, heavy in heart, my legs. I was doing the warm-up on the pitch, and I said, Darren, you're not going to survive. I just couldn't get get going so it's incredible how I felt because and if you look at the warm-up I'm in the corner as far away from the Albion team and the fans as I possibly can because over the other half of the pitch I know everybody having been there years staff players the fans I didn't the fans were singing I could hear them singing me at the top and I didn't want them singing me because I was I was I was down the other side so I was trying to stay as far away as possible but how I felt, gents, honestly, I felt so heavy. But when the referee blew the whistle, it was like autopilot. I can just say it was like an autopilot. I just went into gear and autopilot. And 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 obviously we know the, the story of the game and that, but it was a real surreal experience. And um, and sometimes I look at the picture in my office now on the wall and, and the photo tells me everything on the day, really. It's an incredible photo, how he's been caught. And I can just remember it, remember it now. And it's just really, really incredible. So I see it, I understand it. And um, yeah, it was a, it was an incredible one.
0: A little break in play from Darren Moore to tell you about some amazing products our sponsor Catlin Toaster Man has available at the moment. It's winter, it's getting colder. We've got a cold snap coming in the next few weeks. So you need to keep warm in your house. So why not treat yourself to an oil-filled heater or radiator. The Ketland Toaster Man has a range of products at low prices, including this warm, light, electric, oil-filled radiator that you can pick up today for, wait for it, just £22. An absolute bargain. And again, I feel like Santa here on the Baggies Broadcast, reminding you listeners to write those lists, get those presents in, um, if you're like me and you haven't bought any, I should really practice what I preach, shouldn't I? But if you haven't got any Christmas presents at the moment, head over to the Ketland Toaster Man. He's got some amazing gift ideas for Christmas, some kitchenware, hair products, even TV and audio accessories such as headphones. And wait for it, even found today, some 3D VR glasses. You never know, a member of your family who you might want a pair of them for Christmas. So head over to the Toasterman.co.uk, or you can go in store to Thorns Road and
2: Briley Hill to find out more. Right, back to Big Dave. Both, both, both. Johnny and I learnt in the last couple of hours that you finished your career with Wellington Amateurs. Are still, <laughs> <with a laughs> club,
0: that's club, my final uh, question. In a sec, Darren, we didn't realise that
2: a club we still yeah. cover now, and under Richard Brown, a guy that we yeah. still pick up on a weekly basis.
1: Yeah, now we, we did. Yeah, I finished it um, for Wellington Amateurs. Yeah, I, 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 my career took me obviously from, from obviously uh, West Brom to Derby, from Derby to Barnsley. Then Barnsley to um, to uh, Burton Albion, and then I finished at Burton because I was starting my um, coaching career at West Brom. Then for the under-18s, so I'd been offered a job at the West Brom, and I thought to myself, I was gonna, I was doing a, I was doing a physical education degree at Wolverhampton University, and I was thinking to myself there was two teams I could have signed after Burton. It was Telford or. It was Telford, Tamworth and Mansfield Town at the time would come up and I was going to go and sign for them where you train on a Tuesday and a Thursday in the non-league, but you could finish off your degree. And all of a sudden, and then i got another incredible offer opportunity to go and coach the under-18s at, at West Brom. And um, so I, I ended up thinking, well, I want to go into coaching Um, so I'm going to take the opportunity. So I'm, I'm actually going to finish a year early. For my career, So I didn't take the opportunities, but I think I was going to go and potentially sign for Mansfield. It wasn't my choice was going to be, but I never. So in the end, I ended up going, to, uh, taking his role at West Brom. And then a good friend of mine, Richard Brown, which we started playing football when we was at Normanhurst Villa. And um back in the Sunday, I'm talking when 10, 11, 12, right the way through and uh, Brownie, I used to um, stay over at Brownie's house with his, you know, Brownie's mum and dad, um, Colin and Mary, all the time. I mean, even then, looking after me, Colin used to come and pick me up and bring me over there. So he, he was manager there, and he was in the, he was in the cup final. I think it was the semi-finals and that. And he was saying, "Dad, please come and play for me. Come and play for me. Come and play for me." And he kept on and he kept on and he kept on. He says, "Help me, just get me to the final. Just get me to the final." So that's when I ended up signing for him. I said, all right, then let's go then. So it was a good friendship, really. And I went and played for him. And yeah, we got to the final. But what an experience it was getting there. <laughs> My goodness, with the game. So I had a couple of uh, centre forwards up there and we were both Wolves fans. And they were saying, I can't believe it's Darren Moore we're Wolverhampton Wanderers, us two. Yeah? And he said, well, we're scoring. And I thought, that's just the energy and the fuel I need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To go through this game, to know I'm playing against two wolves players, and uh, so I made sure I sorted them two out. Uh, I'm taking to the final. Yeah. Yeah. Did got you to the, did final. You win the final? Now, when he went to the final, he said to he did they won the final. They, they went to the final. He said, "Would you play in the final?" I said, "No, I've had enough." I said, "That's <laughs> me." I said, "I've heard enough. I've seen enough. They're just." <laughs> The arguing and the bickering and the pitch to the referee, I thought, goodness me! I said, <laughs> I need a couple of paracetamols after the game when I went. But it was great for them, and that was the reason why I finished that. Um, went into amateurs really, and I had to sign a p- proper professional contract and everything else really uh, when I left Burton Albion. So it was, um, so that was the reason behind it really.
0: Yeah, did, did you mentioned Telford there? We also come Telford. Was a move to them ever ever close? Telford,
1: yeah, they, they, they come in they, Telford, Tamworth and Mansfield all come in and I was just thinking all of them were in in, in that in the league and all of them was but I was looking at it because it was an, A, an ability for me to try and finish my physical education degree at Wolverhampton Uni so I was looking at them but in the end I end up doing it I went full circle I went straight into West Brom to do the under 18s um, which was which obviously has been excellent and great to come back into the the club and probably leads me on to the, the coaching and the management side of it now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Lewis, if you want to take over with all the, the management side.
2: Absolutely. Darren, uh, fascinating to hear about your brilliant playing career and really interested, um, you know, to get all all aspects of, of your coaching and management, really. I mean, did you see in, in those final days as a player, as you say, you got the chance to do some studying and then you went into the Albion youths with, with the coaching. Did you always envisage in the latter stages of your, of your career being a coach, becoming a coach, staying in football or...?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I took all my badges while I was still playing. I, I, I had my pro license badge when I was at when I was at Barnsley. So I took I took my and got my pro license badge uh, very early thirties. Really, while I was still playing. So I always had a desire to go into coaching, and my desire was to be a real good coach and a top coach, working in the Premier League with, with an elite group of players. And that was my that was always my plan. So to come back and work at um, in the P, which is at the Category 1 at West Brom, was really, really um, good. And, and obviously, I'm grateful for, obviously, the time it was Dan Ashworth was Technical Director there and Mark Harrison was Academy Manager. And, um, and incredible just to come back there and and and, and play and, and come and, sorry, not play for the club, but to coach as well, the next elite group and be part of it. And being back in the football club and an environment that you know, I'd been used to, but my next job was to, to bring forward the next generation of players, really. Yeah. So to be back there was was excellent, really, to to come back into it. And um, I settled into it, um, Water for ducks back in terms of that, really, but that thirst and hunger um, to get back into it, really, because that's what I wanted to desire. So, yeah, I started taking my coaching badges and and had them by the early part of my 30s.
2: The club are, um, are good at that, aren't they? i I imagine a lot of clubs are, but, um, I mean, Brunty's doing doing similar now with the junior yeah. and obviously uh, Was, yeah. involved in the first team and yeah. previously juniors. So they're, they're good at off- offering opportunities for, for players who've really served them well and given them time.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's a good thing with the, with the football club because they've had some players that's been in the club that's been wonderful servants of the football club and there they are now, you know, back there working at the football club and 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 taking on their next step in terms of management. And it's great for the for the Albion fans to see club legends like you know uh, Chris Brunt there now and James Morrison now going on towards the coaching side of it because um, they know what it means to the supporters. The supporters know what it means to them, and they have a desire and an affinity to get back into it. So it's really, really good for their next steps. And, you know, if Muzzer and Brunty aspiring to get into coaching or management, then they're certainly in the right environment. And they've started off very, very well, really, which is good to see, really. They've got that background knowledge of playing football. What they're just doing is learning now that the knowledge what they've got in the game is how to teach it, really. and um, Because they can definitely do it because what they've done in the game is just getting that that difference in terms of the knowledge what you've got in your mind and how you see the game is teaching it to the group of players and and going forward so um i'm sure the the for them too it looks uh it looks promising
2: yeah you um you touched on your start there with, with the 18s and um and also your aspirations and coaching and looking after the the elite players i just interested to know how how the rise went for you over those years how under which managers did you Yeah.
1: Play? rapid rise because when i joined the club steve clark had come in and i knew steve really well and so me and steve had signed more or less really at the right time and i always remember um steve you know and i just said steve obviously you've been assistant manager for all these years and he just said darren all it means for me is Whereas I was in the room listening to the decision being made, I'm the one that's making the decision. It's just a the difference in terms of it. And I thought, yeah, okay, because obviously the assistant manager usually in the room with the manager, but he'd been given it. But I was really pleased because I knew Steve was a top coach. I'm aspiring to be a good coach. So I'm really pleased to be working to watching him work and being in the same environment and seeing him work. So to be in an environment where you've got Steve there, obviously there, just before the, uh, Roy Hodgson had a time there when I'd be coming in. So I saw Roy work, I saw Steve work, Alan Irvine work. You know, you're talking all these are top guys in the coaching pitch that are real good top coaches and you're aspiring to watch them. And then, of course. um Tony Pulis comes in really into it really. So by that time, I'm I'm, I'm under 18s, I'm, I'm progressing to be under 23s. And then also I've taken another role, which is the under 23s loans manager. And the, the, that was a bit really where I crossed over to the first team because there was under 23 top players, but also how was I gonna bridge the younger players from the 23s into, The first team or get them out on loan so my role kind of changed a little bit from having two two and a half years of coaching on the pitch and seeing the dynamics and getting all your coaching patterns and everything else the next thing was now was that next step of stepping the young elite players into the first team environment how are you going to bridge that gap so that really brought me into the first team uh, headquarters where i was watching how things was happening at first team level and the importance of it. And of course, us being in in the Premier League is a real elite level, but also going out in midweek to these lower league clubs and watching some of our young emerging talent being out alone. And that was a real insight because you had almost in one job, you had about four or five different jobs rolled into one. Um, So that really helped me transform if really from a coaching into that sort of that leadership management kind of role, if you like, because number one, I was watching all the decisions being made and being in the environment with the manager in, in Tony telling me to take as much as little match days being in in the room with managers coming in the room and talking to Tony and, you know, Jose Mourinho, Sir Alex, Ronald Koeman, Sam Allardyce. You got to remember I was in the room listening to all these men speak after the game getting a real true insight and what i'm going to say this to you in how the media and the cameras portray these people outside in the game in the manager's office they're very different and the beautiful thing for me is i got to saw the real people what they are and in terms of the bravado what they put to the outside public which i understand because the media does it but what was valuable for me was seeing them in the true light that they are in, the, in their manager's room because almost that's like a safe safe yes. safe haven, a safe zone for them. But you see the real characters and what they really think about the game and how they saw the game. And I think that was massively vital for me. It was incredible. It was an eye opener because even me serving the game and me being a professional player, even I wouldn't have had an insight and saw what I saw at the time in the rooms with all those managers coming in. Yeah so it gives you a real insight really so it was a it was a great experience
2: that's really interesting to hear that actually because I was going to say you you mentioned all the top coaches and managers you worked under there and I'm sure being a manager now yourself taking bits from those and ideally use the best bits from it but also spending time with the elite opposition managers as well has got to have got to have helped and ideally you want to I don't know inhale all of those good bits and uh and hopefully take it forward yeah, inc-
1: incredible. Like, you know, and, and that's the bit where you're working in an environment under some extreme ex- excellent coaches. But also you've seen the opposition coaches coming in, pitting their wits against you and your manager pitting his wits against them and how they see the game and how they view your manager and the respect that they've got for your manager and then your manager speaking to them. and and listening to other parts of their life in terms of what they do away from the game. It's just like, like sensational. So that for me was a massive, huge, huge um, um, pulling power. And that's why I think subconsciously when I got thrusted into the hot seat at Albion, I was able just to really kick on really with it because what a lot of people probably wouldn't have seen that even in the time that I was there, the positions that I never held, I held a position where I was saw a lot within the football club and I was developing a lot in the football club and I was always part of the Albion setup up in the football club and that's why I really felt I was able to, to manoeuvre and step in and probably feel that like I was probably more ready than probably what I thought I was because at the time you never get, there's never the ideal opportunity to step in but I had to answer an SOS from the football club and I was able to step into it. And when I look back on it, subconsciously, I was already in a position geared for it. And that's why I think I was able to just get get up and run with it, and and probably as a manager, turn around the fortunes of the football club, uh, in that sense really, and, and and move the club back to a level where we had our pride back in the football club, which yeah. was really really
2: important. Interested to know, in your time with the 18s, 23s, and obviously you mentioned the loans there as well with with, with the club's top young players. I mean, I was we, we've got him to ask about later on in the in the pod, Darren, but presume Sido was under your watch, is that yeah. the, and Sido, and, yeah.
1: Sido was, yeah.
2: And, and uh, the other youngsters coming through that stick out on the top of your head that have got... So, of course,
1: on- obviously Chris Chris Woods had gone, you had Remain, Soyuz, uh, yeah. Liam O'Neill, all these were at them 23s. Were Time, um, the Nabi brothers, Adil, Adil all those at that elite group were all there at the time, really. Um, you know, then we had the youngsters of like sort of Jonathan Lecko coming through, Kyle Edwards coming through, Andre coming through, you know. So we had real, real tough young Sam Field coming through, Alex Palmer coming through, you know, all these young, younger boys that was all coming through and uh, just gearing, coming at that academy and just starting to open doors and bridge the academy through into the first team was absolutely um, um, massive at the time. Um, Donovan Daniels, when I think of all the names, what's, what's coming to coming to a head now, really at the time, um, were all youngsters at the time starting to come through. And, and at that time, we had a, a lot of clubs after our youngsters because the way the academy programme was... Um, so we lost a lot of younger players because of the elite system where the 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 academy was um um was there really so so all that time was that transition of me managing that group of players and giving us real insight and intel from you sort of the outside world looking into our players and our players going into the outside world at different clubs and applying them trade really and, and getting them used to life away from the Albion and a different uh, environment away from them because they had to live on their own, start growing up. I'd I'd go to the living headquarters where they were in, going to see the opposition managers, spending time at the clubs with them, looking at the environment where they are and was comparing it to the environment where they would have been at the Albion. So there was a lot of things with it really, but it really did give me an insight as well to what we had at the Albion and what these lower league clubs were working with and how they were making things work. Uh, and it was a real insight, and not only that, but me going to support the loan player, but me also supporting the manager at that League One and League Two club, and them asking questions because of the environment while I was in at the Albion. So I was almost being like another coach, coaching member for them, trying to help them because we they've got our player on loan. So all round, the learning experience from taking that role was absolutely phenomenal. And what I was learning over the time I had it has definitely helped me to stood me in good stead where I am now.
2: Yeah. There was obviously um, Tony Pulis, a great times for the club in the top flight, wasn't there? And that moved on to Alan Bajer, of course. So at, at what stage at this point was your role changing? Because you went on and eventually were, were first team coach, is that right, Darren?
1: Yeah. So that my role then, because I was in the in the first team
2: uh, around
1: uh, Tony, there was younger lads like Kyle Edwards, uh, Sam Field, um, Andre, Jonathan Lecco were just starting to be in and around the first team, so I was spending a lot of time with them, getting the the the, the, the finer bits of their game right, because at, the, at any time you could have get thrusted in. So I was spending a lot of time in and around the first team, and watching a lot traveling with the first team, staying around, and of course I was Tony's uh, captain when he was manager at Portsmouth. So as an as I added sort of staff members, I, I stayed in around it, so I was always around it, seeing a lot of things from that point and of course then eventually when Tony left and then Alan came in, because I was around it, um, the technical director at the time, Nick Hammond, said to Alan Pardew when they come in with with, with um, John Carver that they want Darren Moore to step up uh, in the first team, a little bit similar to what what James Morrison is doing now really and being around and keep that connection. So then all of a sudden then I moved more then into a permanent first team coach. All my long, the job that I was doing in terms of loan, I had to drop all that really and move past that on. So then that's when I became like, so more of a, a permanent fixture within the first team and a first team coach. So, um, and then that was the, the, the breakthrough. Then I stayed in and around Alan as, as part of his um, staff and, and and started developing and going from there as a, as a first team coach and that's when I was brought into the the first team environment more on a on a, on a permanent um, job title uh, yeah. in terms of the development.
2: So what do you remember about that sort of period then Darren because obviously I mean you mentioned uh, earlier when you mentioned you had to answer an SA, SOS sorry almost and yeah, obviously got to a point where Alan was relieved of his of his duties so obviously it wasn't going as well as people would have liked how how do you recall those times
1: yeah for for me it was it was a sad time really because a sad time for watching alan work extremely hard but it's just not happening so seeing the work he's putting in but it's just not happening and also the somber mood around the club so for me it was a real sad sad time really to see those two aspects and looking at games against Leicester, looking at games against Burnley at the Hawthorns and just, I remember me looking at the game, looking into the crowd, into the stands and thinking what is going on here, there's just nothing, it's flat, it's dull, it's mundane, it's lifeless, just not happening and, and um, of course for the manager feeling for him because he's working extremely hard because i get to see the bits behind the scenes but it's just not happening but this thing just going on uh, for a long long time and the reason why i said it was an sos call was because i'll, I'll never forget it was a bank holiday and i got, got the phone call to come into the football club and because it had gone on so long i had generally thought that it was just going to go to the end of the season and then decisions would be made in the in in at the end of the season. So when I got called into the football club, I got called in on the bank holiday Monday. So nobody was in. I just saw three or four cars in the car park. It was obviously um the CEO at the time mark and and the 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 hierarchy was in there. And I walked, I sort of walked in and and within me being there 20 minutes, I, I was told I was gonna get given the given the job to the end of the season. So it was an SOS because I didn't expect it. So I'm sat at the training ground and I spent the rest of the day at the training ground and a real good colleague of mine, Wayne Jacobs, I rang him and told him what was happening and he came down and we just stayed at the training ground all day in the, on the Monday until when the news broke. And when the news broke, I just put my phones down because they were just going through the roof. But me and Wayne just sat there and started planning. So for the whole Monday, I just started planning. And I remember... Everybody had gone home, you know, when I was told, you, everybody had gone home, but we were still at the ground. And I just remember my sister coming and bringing me some food. My, and my sister said, you're going to need some food. So she brought us some food and we stayed there till about 9, 10 o'clock that Monday. Then, of course, everybody came in on Tuesday. So I had to address the players and I had to address the, the staff, really. Um, and the players and staff were absolutely magnificent. We gave them a generic training session just to blow off the cobwebs and and get a bit of um, energy back into the place. And then, of course, everybody was off on Wednesday, so I was back in again, planning and preparing for the game against Swansea. And then we worked Thursday and Friday for Swansea and then started our campaign then with a 1-1 draw against Swansea. But just the, the energy around it, the togetherness, the fans, everything that day was just incredible. And the biggest thing what I'm going to say to you gents is when I came in on the Monday morning, there was a real difference at the football club because it was, they were looking up at the sky, the TVs and Sky Sports News. But they'd come into the building not having lost the game. So they actually could, there was a vibrance in the canteen and around the place because even though it was a draw and the, the manner in the, how the team played and performed. There was a real energy around the place that we'd, we'd got, to, we'd stop the rot. And it, so it's a real good energy around the place. And of course, that was the week building up to the Man United game. Well, you know, we was in a position where we had to win games. And everything we did, planning, everything in them six games we had was all about winning. Um, So I just changed the, the, the dynamics and kept the attacking players on the pitch in Rondon, Rodriguez, McLean, Phillips. But kept the consistency of the group. And of course, it took off when we got the one-nil win at Manchester United. And the the big the big thing for me was seeing the players with smiles on their faces. I can't tell you what it meant for me in the dressing room at Manchester United, seeing those boys win again and feeling that they've won again and in a top flight. And of course, at the time it presented Manchester City with the title. Because obviously with United losing, it presented them with the title. So I didn't realise. So, you know, some sort of that documentary, whether it's on Man City on, on, on Netflix or Prime or wherever it was, um, it's it's got us in there winning at Old Trafford. And of course, we 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 almost present the title to the Blue Half of Manchester without them playing the game. But for me, it's not to be recognised for that. It was the joy of the players' faces. And of course, it was just lift off then, really, in terms of that. That then went on to, you know, getting results at Newcastle, Tottenham, Liverpool, you know, some fantastic results um, against some renowned, well, renowned managers. And that's why, you know, people say, you know, that turnaround then. But I was in dressing rooms with with those managers in the office and and hearing those top elite managers speak and getting a sense of it, really. So you're able to apply yourself to the group instantly because a lot of people will think that darren moore just got thrusted into it but darren moore was already on a journey subconsciously without him knowing where he's learning and absorbing a lot that not one day did i think i was going to be put into positions a manager like that because i wanted to be a coach but i'd already had the, the trappings of when i look back as a player when i was a captain and being promotion and then going into these coaching roles that subconsciously uh, i had the mindset of being a leader and becoming a manager so going into those six games and um and being incredible and taking it to the last game of the season and don't forget we we only lost out because the game between swansea and southampton we needed that to be a draw and otherwise it goes to the last game and to this day i am almost sure that if it goes to the last game at palace we win because we just had momentum and form um, and credit to the players. Even with them knowing that we were down for 70 odd minutes until Palace scored, they were still at it and credit to them. And, um, and after having it for like six, seven weeks, I was able to hand it back to the, to the board, but restoring the faith in the Albion fans that they had their club back. And honestly, gents, the next day I went back to my job in terms of, you know, going back into, you know, the role of, of first team coach or maybe being that academy role and waiting for them to give the decision who the next manager was going to be so I never thought it was going to be but obviously with public demand and everything else um you know I got the job uh, in the championship
2: I just um you spoke there about the brilliant form the the amazing April you had and obviously sadly we know how it ended but just going back to the start of that when when you got placed in caretaker, did you think Darren sort of privately did you think well, now I'm going to get a bit of a taste of it. Obviously not not permanent, but see how it is, see how I go. Did you think, personally, if this goes well, it could be in a view of, you know, maybe my future as a manager? Or did you not see that coming still? No,
1: nah, nah, I just I, All I just thought was, I'm going to do as best as I can for the club and I just need to put the club back in the map because of where it's at at the moment. It's not the Albion I know. So I just thought, I just want to get the club back in and get it back into into position how I know and and we did that and that was the thing we did it never did I think at the back of it that the managerial role is going to come off the back of it um because I probably felt that I was I'd probably still developing as in in the coaching role in in terms of if I had it in there but lo and behold when I look back at the those six games I'd obviously shown enough to 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 manage the football club and, and 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 we was doing it. So that's when in it when I when I looked in the summer and and the role and everybody was saying, you know, from even match of the day, I was really everybody was saying he's gotta get the job, really. So and then they came back, and when they came back, they said we need to have a meeting and they had the meeting, and they said, you know, we wanna we wanna offer you the job. And I thought, right, okay. So I'm presented with the manager's job and and yet. You know, it's the best-known kept secret. I still had to go to the LMA and, and find out what it is as a manager because I've always been a player. So what is it now? So we had a couple of days trying to sort out the the, the contract before it was agreed and, and full and, and we was off and running and, and I was planning and preparing for a championship season, which, again, there was so many dynamics we had to change in the summer because the club had been used to life in the Premier League and we're going back in the championship where there's going to be games on a... Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, which you get minimal time so I had to plan the group and there's so many things that changed that season at the Albion in preparing for a championship season Um that will probably go underneath the table unnoticed but you have to change because of the dynamics because those players playing one game a week and now we're going to be playing two games a week so what does it look like and not only that but we had to change the dynamics from and being an attacking team um, and scoring goals, and you know, bringing some freshness in, some younger players in, Dwight Gay, Harvey Barnes coming in, people like that really uh, changing the system of the group. Um, you know, um, Holgate coming in, Tulson coming in, you know, Raheem Harper stepping into midfield, Matty Phillips playing in midfield, you know, James Morrison coming back for a bit. All these kind of things we did in the, in the championship year. Um, you know, that, that had a significance really in terms of it. Um, and of course, in that year, there was so much things we did that was so well that obviously when I was relieved of the duties, like ever sort of, we was all surprised. I mean, not I was surprised really, um, when going in after the game and being told that, you know, and being relieved of my duties, that was a real surprise because I generally thought with 10 games remaining in the position that we was, not only I felt we'd secured playoffs anyway, But we were looking at the top two really and usually when it comes into the final 10 games of the season when people can see the finishing line that's where you see things start tailing off and i just thought with the experience as a player having five promotions and now a manager i knew the experience and i and i I suppose for me at the time yes being relieved of the duties okay did i feel happy with the work i'd done for the club absolutely 100 percent um, probably for probably just got one small disappointment was I thought I deserved those final ten games to the end of the season and let's just see what happens. Um, but I was super confident um, at the time to go head to head with it. If it was Aston Villa at the time, then uh, I was happy to to do that really because um, that season we we had four points from them, one at Villa Park and then drew at the Hawthorns. But I thought we had them at the time. So um, I just look back at them in the playoffs and I watched the playoff games and I just thought "Mm, it wasn't quite right, really, to what it was. But I'm happy with the time there. I'm happy with the turnaround there. I'm happy with the record and the figures that we've got there as a manager. So in terms of being a player and a manager there, I've got no complaints that that will be associated with um, a successful, successful time on both fronts. Uh, and I still continue to wish the club well to this day.
2: Yeah, I, you've been really fascinating on that that season there, or the the year you had in charge. Later. And I mean, I, I was going to ask, you know, you touched on on being offered the job, which, uh, as you'd said before, you hadn't necessarily expected. Obviously, you did brilliantly on public demand. Just, I mean, just your feelings on that. Your pride must have been bursting when you got the job offered um, first of all, and then. Obviously, you've been through the season, but um, what maybe stands out, you know, just just some brief memorable results or occasions, and yeah. okay, so on, on the other side, some of the more difficult times, maybe.
1: Yeah, the 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 the, the, the big thing what stood out was obviously um, get 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 given the job. That was fantastic. Getting given the job, being a player and then coming as a manager at the football club, getting given the job and having this task of trying to turn this this club around and trying to get back in the Premier League. You know, you got to remember in the, in the at the time there's some good teams in there. Leeds were in there. Obviously ourselves are in there. Sheffield United were in there at the time. Some real Aston Villa. Some real big teams in there. And but you're having to change this culture of the club. Um, I think the biggest thing for me was the attacking flair that we brought and the, and the thing. You know, um, you know, making a real big decisions uh, with some players, bringing in some other younger players coming in. You know, you know, to let go of James McLean and to replace him with a Harvey Barnes and seeing that. And again, this is where your loan experience come in, because what you end up doing when you're watching loan players, I'd watch Harvey Barnes play up at Barnsley and I seen him and I, I remember marking his name down and thinking he's a good player. The difference at the time when we got him, he was stronger and more powerful. And we saw what he brought, you know, bringing in Dwight Gale as another, you know, goal poacher really. So... You know, there's a lot of things we look back then. I look back at the season and I remember Norwich saying, Oh, we've got a goal scorer that scored twenty-three goals in in, in the boy Puki. We had two in Gale and Rodriguez that scored twenty plus goals. So these are the things where I used to look at and think to myself, blimey, like, you know, uh young Mason Holgate in the team, uh Tossin in the team, Rakeem Harper. I remember me playing Raheem Harper at Aston Villa and the crowd and the media saying, Do you not think it's a uh, bit much for an 18 year old to play and Rakeem Harper getting man the match at Villa at, in that local derby and it's winning 2-0 so too much memorable uh, moments and of course because we were free f- flowing and free scoring obviously teams started coming to the Hawthorns and putting 10 behind the ball so so at the Hawthorns we were getting draws but if you look at our way reform form we were getting wins because we were going to place away from home because teams were coming at us, we were scoring. So I was never under no doubt that as long as we were winning, I understand that the Hawthorns teams are getting behind, putting men behind the ball because they're not coming to play town and fair enough. But that was because of our goal scoring prowess that we had in the team. You know, Matty Phillips, Jay Rodriguez, Dwight Gale, Harvey Barnes, uh, um, Hal Robson-Khanu at the time. We had all these goal scorers where we knew we could score goals. Um, you know you had Dawson and Agarzi at the back that were chipping goals from set plays and Bartley. So all round we had we brought Sam Johnson in. You got to remember um, Ben Foster had left. We brought Sam Johnson in now. So you know we 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 changed up a lot of things at the, at the football club uh, in terms of that. Another thing Kieran Gibbs playing 30 odd consecutive games and Gibbo's never played. You know these are things that. We didn't see um, at the time in terms of of, of going forward, which filled me with hope, and it and it left us in that position in in fourth in the table. So at the time, you know, when I was told, I, I, I the, the the probably the disappointing thing was obviously not getting that. I was really thirsty and energized to do it. That was it, but also at the same time, I thought to myself that. The club had probably was going to move on and, and appoint somebody that with wealth and experience to get it over the line. So because they didn't do it, it made me even more thinking, why have they done it for? Just leave me in place and let me just get on with it. Um, so I felt a bit disappointed. And of course, when, when they didn't get promotion, it just felt like it was a season that had so much potential and promise and didn't finish the way it should have felt finished, really. And, and that's the that's the bit, really, because um, um, decisions were made at the time, at the top, that obviously it proved that it was the wrong decision at the time. And I think that was the disappointing with it, really. But um after back of that, I just decided to go and, um, you know, I took the opportunity to go and work for Doncaster Rovers and just got back into it within three or four months of me leaving the Albion and got back in it. And a lot of people said to me then at the time, how come you went to Doncaster? And I just said to people, I just wanted to work. I said, I was just, I just wanted to work. So I ended up going to Doncaster, playing for another club that was a player and a manager and having two fantastic seasons there really, where, you know, I was able to implement the style of play, philosophy and everything else. And I have two great years there. And the first year was interrupted with COVID. And then the second year when I left Boone, I come to Sheffield Wednesday, we're in the same position. I don't like being fourth in the table because it looks like every time when it's a fourth in the table, I end up moving. So I've got to get off that number being fourth <laughs> at the moment in the table because um, I don't quite like that number really. Um, because when I was fourth in there, Doncaster with, you know, with games in hand and that end up coming to Sheffield Wednesday and here I am currently now um, sort of trying to get this place going and, and enjoying it here. Yeah.
0: No. Can I just ask a question there? You mentioned Harvey Barnes, um, <laughs> arguably... Well, and Dwight Gale, two of the best loan signings in one season that Albion have, have arguably ever had, and ironically scored that wonder goal at the place that you actually work now. Remember, you scored that goal at Hillsborough away, where he basically took on the whole the yeah. whole team. Um, he got recalled in the January by Claude Puel at Leicester for you, and then two months later, obviously down, you're you know out of work. How are you? T- you sort of sort of screaming inside when when thinking Leicester don't take him back you know we we'll keep Harvey Barnes you know we're assuring to to go up cuz he oh. played such a big part
1: yeah no and the boy didn't want to go back at the time cuz obviously he's, he's having a good time and and we but we'd been assured by Leicester that they weren't going to call him back but i think because Leicester had suffered a couple of defeats and the fans were demanding Claude call him back we lost i lost Harvey Barnes James Morrison and Matty Phillips on the Friday before we played Norwich at home. So we played Norwich at home, and a, and a lot of the fans won't see that. I lost them three players who were all playing. Matty Phillips went for a scan had a, an acute injury that we didn't see. James Morrison pulled up with it with it with a muscular injury, and Harvey Barnes got recalled back. So I had to ch- within 24 hours of playing them, we had to change the team on on that Saturday. And I was disappointed because obviously Harvey gets called back. But I said to Harvey, Harvey, as long as you're going back to Leicester to go and play, we've done our job here and you've done your job. But he was in such good form. I think he scored nine goals, six assists, seven assists at the time for the first half of the season. And a real danger to opposition. And with Dwight Gale as well, we had danger from all over the, the pitch. So for him to get called back, it sort of took away that, 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 that 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 thrust really, and that that real energy and that bite from us really, in terms of it, and no doubt that he was such a a, 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 a radiant and a light really, and and I think all the Albion fans associate him with what a terrific player, and I'm really pleased because I remember me bringing him to the football club, and I remember even one or two thinking, you know, to for him to come in and going to replace James McLean, who's an established international, I just said, you know, yeah, he's right for it. And if if, when I seen it was right. And and he was due to go to Leeds United, Harvey Barnes. And, you know, I I sort of interrupted that really and spoke to him and his dad. And within 24, 48 hours, I'm glad that he chose to come to the Hawthorns and, and, um, and he played and he played his part really well. So I was disappointed to see him go, but obviously when you look at what's happening to him now, you know, I said to you at the time, he'll play for England. And I'm still sure he will do play for play for his country. When I seen him at the time, and um, he's had a fantastic career, and it's still in the right, going in the right uh, projection in terms of where he's at.
2: Darren, just um, just one more, um, just on your, your Albion um tenure from me, if you don't mind. You've been so open and honest about it. It's fascinating. Um, obviously, your your dynamic, your your backroom staff there at the Hawthorns at the time. Uh, Graham Jones was your assistant, was he? And yeah. uh, when obviously you were released as your duties in the marsh, you said there was talk around him and different things maybe said by fans or whatever. What are your memories on on that and that dynamic and obviously how that went, how that ended?
1: Yeah, I think I think a lot of, um, you, you know, obviously with we, um, Graham Jones, I know him as Bonner, a um, good friend of mine, really. We, we, we were teammates back at Doncaster when we were both playing. And I think for him, it was getting, you know, we, we had... Belgium I finished third in the in the in, in the in 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 the um the World Cup at the time because at that, that season a lot of fans don't see that. I only had my group of players together on the Thursday before we played Bolton uh, Bolton Wanderers, and it was a real tough week because a I'm just getting my squad back because everybody's away at international, so I'm getting all my players back um, on the Thursday because no matter when a player had finished the international, they had to have 21 days off. So really for me, I only had my team back on that Thursday and Graham Jones came in that Thursday before the Bolton game. So when I look back at it, I remember us having Bolton on the Saturday, Nottingham Forest on the Monday live on Sky and then, and then Norwich City away. I mean, what a week. I and mean, to take four points from that was incredible, really, because it was an incredible week having not had the team back. So these are things that you don't get to see in the in the in the outer world but what you're having to deal with and, de- and 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 contend with so of course um that was it from then so to have bonner in there i said to bonner you know he'd been with uh, roberto martinez for years and years and years and i said to him listen we've got a project here at west Brom, and it's about like i've got a change in mentality and and we want to uh, bring a tuck in flair and everything else and it's going to give you an opportunity to step away and, and step into a different environment. And to this day, he loved the working environment in there. And I know probably in, in the public domain, he was led to believe with, um, you know, he had he, he, he had this electronically iPad and everything else. But what a lot of people seen in that was, you know, in terms of where it was, but I was the one always making all the decisions. I was the one always in charge. Um, he's a personal friend of mine, I've known him for years, you're probably talking 20 odd years, and at the time I would have been the only one in lead. the position that he had, you've got to remember the position where he is, to come down to the championship was a massive coup for us really to get him at the time, um, and even at the time our CEO Mark at the time was thinking are we going to get him because of the level of where he was at, but, but such like I spoke to you with Richard Brown and with Wellington Amateurs, it was my friendship with him what brought him at the time to bring him to, to there and i like to think that you know in terms of the attacking flair and everything else that we brought there we was brought there at that time and i know he, he probably had a the, uh, wrong and the stick from the albion fans and everything else because obviously i've got a rapport with them and i've built a rapport with them and at the time he never but um he was very much so because he was very much uh, part of the setup in trying to help us um, in terms of going forward, really. So, and that was it. And that's how I saw it at the time. Um, going forward, um, at the time, it was just I felt we had the the right team in there. If there's one small thing, was not having those final ten games. I keep yeah. saying, lads, I just felt that. I wished, I wished, I wished I had those ten games just to see, and and I wouldn't have had no complaints at the end because I really felt that season. Um, I really felt everything you see, what's going on at what's happening at the villa now, in terms of where they are and everything else, I reckon if I'm gonna say if, reckon if we'd have been there, then I reckon we we um it's happening at the Albion because of the momentum that we had at the time.
2: Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Just um just a couple more. I mean you, you touched on two two great years at Donny, uh, Darren and, and now obviously being at Hillsbury where you are. Um you must be you must be loving it. I mean, what what a what a great challenge that is to relish in a club like Shepherd Wednesday in the third tier, trying yeah. to trying to lift them up, the the fan base, everything there.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is it is a it is a um, a huge a huge task and and one that I'm looking forward to. Um, something that I'm I'm looking at now and, and thinking right, okay, in terms of the the size and magnitude of the club, we have always got twenty plus thousand at home. And every time we go away from home now, it's complete sellout. No matter where we go now in th- this level, because such is the vast fan base and the expectancy on the club. Last year we missed out in the playoffs. Just it would have been a near on minor miracle last year. And I've just carried on in that theme with that attacking mentality. You know, bringing attacking football to it, and I've tried to continue that. And um, and that's the that's the the opportunity that we've got here. Obviously the, the 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 aim is to try and get back up, obviously with the size and magnitude of the club. But like I said, yeah, you know, I've tried to bring like a, a, a togetherness approach to the football club here and keeping that going here really. But it's such a it's a wonderful challenge, it really is a good challenge here at Sheffield Wednesday and one that it's an honour for me to, to manage this wonderful historic football club uh, and trying to help them. Bring some good times back in. As I said, you know we've been we're in a good position at the moment, um, but we know it's a long way to go. We've just quarter the season gone, uh, and we have to keep um, keep turning the page, as they say, and on to the next one.
2: Yeah, you spoke about your ambition with Wednesday there, but um, I mean yourself personally as a manager. Everyone wants to to get to the highest level they can, don't they? I presume you still have that burning desire to manage as as high up as you can.
1: I'm managing the Premier League with the Albion and that is the place really to go and manage. It really is. You know, you got to remember I've managed over those six games, I'm managing the Premier League and tasty success. You know, when you, when, you, when you taste success against Jose Mourinho, you taste success against um, uh, Pochettino and Benitez and people like that. You know, and you've picked your wits against some of the elite managers in the game and you've got results against them and the joy and jubilation of them you want to get back there it's the place to be really so as a manager you want to get back there because you've tasted it there and that is the place to be really and i've tasted success here at winning games at wednesday here and winning games at doncaster but nothing quite beats that when you taste success at, at the premier league level and you're picking your wits against the very very best so yeah, you want to get back there and 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 showcase what you're about there. So we're working. Uh, you've got to stay consistent in this industry, you know, if you are, to get back to those levels.
2: Wonderful, Darren. Uh, just before I let Johnny test your baggies memory and knowledge of, of your playing days, uh, yeah. last one for me. I mean, it's just a bit of a summary question, really, and, and you've touched on it really throughout. But Albion, West Bromwich Albion, what, what does the club, you know, I mean to you still at this stage you know after your two spells
1: no it means so much to me because a because i'm a local and and i'm from in the midlands and not only that you can't i can't lose or forget like you know in terms of playing for the club and you know the success that we brought there but also the, the feel good factor with, with with the local um community really so it means a lot to me in terms of that and to have the ability to play for them and be and and bring some success there and to be a manager of the club i'm so proud and honored um to have done that for the club and done it to the best of my ability and in, in, in terms of that and to still keep the connection with the club and the supporters always 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 no matter where i go any albion fan there's just always been nothing but love really with it so with that i just i just um the club will always live long in 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 my heart really in terms of me wanting that place to be always be successful because it goes all around within the club and outside the football club so it means a lot
2: yeah uh, lovely thanks well thanks so much for your time there mate that's that's brilliant cheers lads darren that's
0: that's fantastic just one more question i wanted to ask. just Chef yeah, wednesday albion links we spoke about your Berahino before and obviously you took him to to hillsborough last year yeah. darren um you know what was the decision behind that, and and what do you think? What have you thought of his his career? Obviously, you know, it's one that fascinates me, but it saddens me at the same time as an Albion yeah. fan that he hasn't hit the heights that he once did at Albion. You know, and I think he's in Cyprus now. You know, just talk to me about what, how you view his career if he can ever you know resurrect it to the levels he did, and how oh, he was at Sheffield Wednesday last year.
1: When when I, when I look back at Sido when we was doing the uh, the loans, I come CLC a game when I was at there. I went to I had to go up to. um Wolverhampton we'll to wonders to watch him play England in the 21s. It's Harry Kane and Saido Berino. Harry Kane, Saido Berino. There was Sadio spoken about even more highly elite than where Harry Kane was. I remember going to the, to go and watch him at the at, at the, uh, the Monino to go and watch him play and analyse his game for the England 21s. So when I look at where he was, then he steps into the Albion first team and as a number nine, just scored he, that he had a fantastic. Um, season full of uh, potential um, as clean a striker so working with him and seeing what he was doing being absolutely proud then in kind of the, the, the the incident with the Tottenham you know that just went a bit sour and probably misled in terms of information and what he had to do at the time and I remember maybe being in and around him then and you know trying to be a support mechanism for him but it just didn't happen and then very difficult for any young player to fulfill that his desire and dreams to go and play for one of the the top clubs in the Premier League but it didn't happen at the time so I think at the time he had to get his head down almost kind of forget it because Albion is still in the Premier League and, and the way you resurrect those kind of deals is continuing doing what you're doing and not trying to take matters into his own hands and i think just illfully wrongfully advised at the time but i remember me just supporting him every step of the way and things just kind of not going right for him off the pitch and because things aren't going right for him off the pitch it kind of spills onto the pitch Um, still being a support mechanism for him when he went to stoke um even though his time at stoke um, i was still connected with him i'll say this year when I was a manager at uh, West Brom, in my time, I tried to bring him back to the Hawthorns. Why? I wanted to bring him home. Why? I wanted to set him back in an environment where it was a safe and secure environment. So I tried to bring him back because he's a goal scorer side always. But it didn't materialise because both clubs couldn't reach an agreement. So that fell by the wayside. So me, and all the time I've been away from him, I've been always keeping in touch with him, but more on a friendship and being that support mechanism for him. So when I took the job at Sheffield Wednesday, we are a club where it's in in embargo last season. So I needed number nine, and you can only sign free transfers or loans. So at the time, he was being let go by the club, so I thought to myself, if I can bring him, I can get into him, his mindset, his mentality, and there's still a player in there at the level that we're at. So in terms, last season, Sido contributed in 28 games, scored eight goals, and had four assists. So when you look at that, that's one in three, really. So he come and done a job for us last season. I'm really pleased with what he did. This season, the reason why Saido's not remained with us was because I just thought if I can get, um, um, freshen up the squad and try and bring some younger ones in. Um, And that younger one, that letting Saido go, I've tried to bring the boy Malik Wilkes in, um, who's 23 years of age. And so younger one, really, in terms of it, and he's going to carry on the baton. So I'm really pleased in terms of what Sido did. We brought him back in here. He's contributed last season, and now he's gone back over to Cyprus. And um, yeah, we we wish him well and and continue his development. But um, he's more settled now. He's more mature now, and everything else. And you get all those aspects that he had as a younger player at the time uh, was really hard to deal with. But um, but last season, I had no 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 doubt in bringing him back. To Sheffield Wednesday, as I did when I was at West Brom. I tried to bring him in then, but both clubs couldn't reach an agreement. Um and so that's why it is with him. So um so that's my take on him really. And um we wish him well in Cyprus and I'm sure he'll score goals out there as well.
0: Yeah, hopefully. Um we're just coming to the end, Dan. We've got some some quick fire quick fire questions from your time at Albion and you have referenced a few of these games already. So I've got high hopes for you in this quiz, Dan. I think you're gonna do very well. We yeah. had uh, we had Andy Johnson last week, he was awful. Um, but I've got uh, I've got a lot of um, I've got a lo- lot of hope for you for yourself. The first one was um, you made your debut against Watford um, for Albion. As you said, you came on as a substitute. Um, can you remember who you came on as a substitute for?
1: Yeah, uh, sending off.
0: Can you remember who came off for you? Who who you obviously had to bring someone off for you to come on? Can you remember who actually came off? I was surprised when I read it.
1: It was. Midfield player? No, centre forward. De D- Danny Deachio? No,
0: it was Bob Taylor.
1: Bob Taylor, okay. Yeah.
0: Bob Taylor. Bob Taylor was the one that came off. One. One, obviously, I think Albion won two one. I think Scott You won two one. You won two one.
1: one, two, one, one. one yeah. so I remember. I remember Gary Megson turning to me and saying, like, <laughs> "Go and win us the game" because obviously we need the centre back on there, so he had yeah. to make a change here. Yeah. And then the following
0: season, obviously Albin went up to the uh, the Premier League. Um, you managed to bag yourself two goals, two Premier League goals that season. Can you remember who they came against?
1: First one was against Fulham. Yeah. And the second one was against um, that was it against our uh, um it was away
0: from home. I'll give you that clue. Man City. Man City, yes.
1: Yeah, Man City, yeah.
0: Yeah, there we go. And just a a third and final question. I think, Darren, as a player for Albion, you've been involved in, I worked out three pitch invasions um, from Albion fans, but you were also involved in a fourth as a Barnsley player
1: in 2010. Uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Can you remember, this this is a tough one, remember the score that day? Can you remember who scored for Albion that day?
1: Yeah, John Arson. No, no. At Barnsley, at Albion. You know,
0: at, at Albion, it was 2010, last game of the season, and Albion got promoted.
1: Yeah, it was one-one innit? it. That's the one. It was one-one, so um, knocked down. Was it? Could it? Was it Graham Dorans?
0: It was Graham Dorans, yeah. Graham
1: Dorans, yeah. I think it was John someone was involved and and does a scored, yeah. Yeah, yeah Graham there, Dorans.
0: There we go. That's the that's the best one we've had so far, Darren. So uh, well done on the well done on that one, and Darren Moore. Thanks very much for your time. You've been very generous yeah. with your time. Thanks, Darren. You know, Darren. you're always. As you said, you know you're always going to be loved at the Hawthorns, um, yeah. and we we wish you the best, and we hope you manage your managerial career continues. Maybe you never know one day back yeah. in the Hawthorns
1: dugout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be nice. Cheers for that, lads.